Welcome to Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Tim Slover, and this hour, we get out of the valley's summer heat and travel up into the beautiful, cool, green, forested mountains of Park City, Utah, home of skiing, outlet shopping, a little independent film shindig, and most important, five music festivals performed throughout the year and sponsored by the renowned Park City Chamber Music Society. In July and August, the Society presents a Beethoven Festival. The Beethoven Festival offers a chance to enjoy world-class musicianship in a variety of scenic settings. There are concerts in the Park City Community Church, Temple Har Shalom, and free events in the city park where blankets and picnic dinners are de rigueur. There are also a number of salon benefit concerts in beautiful homes. There, the concept is feed the soul, feed the palate, as musicians and audience members mingle amid notes, hors d'oeuvres, and drinks. Double yum. Ludwig van Beethoven is largely known as an orchestral composer, but in fact, he wrote a good deal of chamber repertoire besides those nine symphonies. Piano sonatas and trios, sonatas for violin and cello, and string quartets. This year, the festival highlights Beethoven's quartets, with a different Beethoven quartet being performed at each concert. Now, these namesake festivals also feature the music of other composers. Think the mostly Mozart Festival at Lincoln Center. And the Park City Beethoven Festival is no different. In fact, this morning, just to keep you on your toes, keep track of how many Beethoven pieces are being played. Joining me in the studio this hour are Russell Harlow, clarinetist and co-director of the Park City Music Chamber Music Society, violinist Margaret Baldridge, pianist Robert Moling, and cellist Jeffrey Solo. We'll speak with each of them this hour, but first, let's begin with music. This is the first movement of the trio for clarinet, violin, and piano by composer Giancarlo Menotti. Thank you. 
You've just heard a delightfully sprightly performance of the trio for clarinet, violin, and piano, First Movement, by Giancarlo Menotti. You're listening to Highway 89 live on Classical 89 and Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Tim Slover, and this hour features talented instrumentalists performing at the Beethoven Festival in Park City, Utah. Russell Harlow is a world-class clarinetist who directs the Park City Chamber Music Society with his wife, Leslie Harlow. 
and was principal clarinet with Utah Symphony for many years. It's his clarinet you hear on all those Utah Symphony recordings. Russell, your name is so closely associated with the Park City Chamber Music Society, many people think probably that you founded it. Uh, is that the case? No way. <laughs> and how, how, are you, how are you, Tim? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> Good. No, no, I did not find, found it. I was actually working. Uh, I had founded the Nova Series Chamber uh, Series in Salt Lake City in 1978. First concert was uh, February 20th. And uh, I was struggling with the Nova Series, trying to get money and, and, uh, and uh, grants and whatever. And then a couple of years later, 1983, someone told me, hey, somebody's starting a great new parks, it's called the Deer Valley uh, Chamber Music Festival, and uh, they're bringing all sorts of great people from all over the world and, uh, and the country, and I started to get really upset because, wait a minute, I'm struggling, I can't get, the, I can't get enough money for the Nova series, and all of a sudden this thing is happening with, uh, and it was Leslie uh, Blackburn at the time who was, was uh, starting this thing, and so what I decided to do was marry her, because if you can't, if you can't beat the competition, you have to join it. <laughs> so you married up. We married up, yes. <laughs> and so I joined Leslie uh, in 1987. She started in 1983. That's fantastic. Yeah. About 10 years ago, I think it was, uh, the Park City Chamber Music Society added uh, a film music festival to its other four. Yeah, it was nine years ago. Nine years ago? Yeah. Thank you. And that started me thinking about uh, clarinet music in mm -hmm. movie soundtracks. Yes. I remember uh, there's some in The King's Speech right. uh, and in Up!, uh, and in Amelie, and I'm just wondering, are there any movie soundtracks for that festival that you've programmed that you particularly like, or ones you're looking forward to, ones you'd like to see in the festival? You know, I, I'm, I beg your pardon, but I, I haven't I've thought of that quite yet, but um, uh, there are some, uh, Benny and June has a great, great clarinet solo, mm. that's, uh, uh, um, uh, I forget the clarinetist's name. You don't remember either, do you, Jeff? Anyway, so... Um, uh, it'll come to me, and he'll hate me for it. But anyway, that has a, some great clarinet solos in it. And, and a lot of John Williams' uh, music has some wonderful, all the way through it. Maybe you can persuade Leslie to program some of this. Program some of that, yes, okay. <laughs> uh, what is Bring Your Own Beethoven? Well, it's, it's actually BYOB. Okay. <laughs> we, we wanted to, uh, last year, uh, Leslie started a, 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 a thing where she would take around a bust of Beethoven that I've had since I've 12, I was 12 years old, that's 50 years ago. And uh, or 51 years ago, and uh, was taking pic pictures with with people all over the place, with Beethoven as she was passing out literature and going to the uh, concierges and the different ho hotels and restaurants, and and uh, she decided that uh, you know uh, it, everybody knows Beethoven, kids on the street know Beethoven. They see the bust, they don't see the name, they see the image, and they say it's Beethoven. And we had decided to do all of the Beethoven quartets. In the next two years, we'll be doing that. Hmm. Uh, we started. Uh, we start this week with uh, Opus 18, number one, and then Opus 74, and then Opus 59, number one. But uh, then Leslie woke up just a little while ago, sat up in bed, and said, "You know, I think we're going to rename the festival, the Beethoven Festival." And I said, "Well, I don't know, but it's turning out to be a very, very nice thing because uh, it adds some freshness." And it adds some uh, a different impression now, to people. If I have a Beethoven artifact, and I have to say that my junior high school, one of the few holidays we celebrated was Beethoven's birthday. Um, really? If I had a Beethoven artifact and I brought it to one of these concerts, 
would I get like a discount or half something? price? Half price. Half price. Wow. If you bring a Beethoven, if you bring a Beethoven wig, or if you bring a Beethoven uh, bust, or uh, a coin, or a nose, or whatever, <laughs> you, you know, you'll get you'll get half price off. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tim. Well, let's hear some more of Russell's beautiful clarinet music, along with the violin and the piano. Here are the second and third movements from the trio for clarinet, violin, and piano by Giancarlo Menotti.
Those were the final two movements of Giancarlo Manotti's trio for clarinet, violin, and piano. You're listening to Highway 89 live on Classical 89 and Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Tim Slover, and this hour features musicians performing at the Beethoven Festival in Park City, Utah. The vibrant and beautiful violin playing you've been hearing is by Margaret Baldridge, who is professor of violin and viola at the University of Montana. Dr. Baldridge is a much sought-after teacher and adjudicator, and in addition, she plays with, among other groups, the Sapphire Trio, which is performed around the U.S. and in Ireland. Why did you decide to call it the Sapphire Trio? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, we were looking for a name. Uh, at the time, the three of us were all at the University mm. of Montana, and um, we live in a beautiful valley surrounded by mountains. And one of the ranges very close to Missoula is the Sapphire Mountain Range. Ah. And so um, we were, you know, looking for just sort of a, a sparkly name, something that would be different from some of the other groups. And uh, we just came upon that range of mountains and said, oh, that must be our, our name. That's a beautiful name. I I'm fascinated to also learn that for the last three years, the trio has been invited to Jerusalem 
uh, and into the West Bank to judge the Palestine National Music Competition to perform and give master classes. Yes. Um, what have you taken away from your musical visits to Palestine and Israel? Well, I think, um, you know, the first year that we were invited, we really didn't know what we were getting into. Um, we had never been to that part of the world. We had been to the Persian Gulf, but not um, really the Middle East. And I think what we came out um, with is just how wonderful the people are. Um, we flew into Jerusalem, we flew into Tel Aviv, and then we spent actually most of our time um, in the West Bank. We did stay in East Jerusalem, just outside the city walls of the old city. And um, there's just such an incredible um, warmth of hospitality from everyone we met. Um, and, um, you know, they're just, they're just people like we are, and they just happen to be living either on one side of the, the wall or the other. Um, and the music that the conservatory, the Edward Said National Music Conservatory, is doing, the work with the students, and um, it's just fascinating and, and wonderful. They have a very high level of playing. Um, the students who were in the competition um, both three years ago and this year were playing at an incredibly high musical level. And, um, you know, they're just great kids. They play soccer. They are regular students. And, and we've just bonded with them over the three years and you know we Skype and we are on Facebook together and um, it's just it's great to see the music that they're making and and the conservatory has actually um, created some new satellite conservatories within the West Bank um, and they're also trying to form some kinds of alliances with the conservatories that are in the um, Arab portions of Israel as well so Last year, we actually were up in the Golan Heights um, visiting one of those music conservatories and, and teaching those students. And, you know, we were, like, right next to Syria where all of this stuff was happening. And um, it's just, you know, in addition to meeting the people, we've been able to see some really wonderful historical sites and swim in the Dead Sea. and Really? And, you know, the old city of Jerusalem is kind of our playground, and Bethlehem has been our playground for the last two years. So it's just, you know, it's fun to say that. Oh, you know, I know where this is. <laughs> <laughs> Can music play a diplomatic role in that region? You know, I think so. I think just the fact that um, we are American women, you know, going into some of these Arab uh, cities and um, bringing music, but also just being able to talk with the people, you know, interact with them, let them know that what they're seeing on the media isn't always necessarily what we're like, you know, in real life. And um, and we get to also see what's not being um, shown, you know, the good things that are happening and not just the strife. Nice. So you've become a musical ambassador we both have. directions. We've sort of made that one of our goals, um, the Sapphire Trio. You know, we've we've traveled to... Um, Japan and Ireland as part of our sister city relationships with Missoula. And then we also did the, um, the tour with the State Department to the four Persian Gulf countries of um, Bahrain, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait. Mm -hmm. And so that was also, you know, a fascinating conversation that we could have um, at some other time. <laughs> yeah. Now, th this is your first year at the Park City Festival? It is, yes. So um, I challenge you okay. to go to the Great Salt Lake Okay. And see if the buoyancy is any different <laughs> than in the Dead Sea. But don't take your violin. Is it cold? Uh, uh, here's my big confession. I've never been to the Great okay, Salt well, Lake. Okay, well, we can go together. Okay. We'll go I have together. been to the Dead Sea, but not the Great oh, Salt Lake. So we share that. Okay. Only I'm a native of Utah, so it's a little embarrassing yeah. for me. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. You've just... Um, 
Uh, we'll now hear the first movement of the sonata for cello and piano. Uh, the cellist has been looking very comfortable, but now it's time. Uh, the sonata for, sonata for cello and piano by Dmitry Shostakovich, performed by cellist Jeffrey Solo and pianist Robert Moling. Thank you. 
That was the gorgeous, brooding first movement of the Sonata for Cello and Piano by Dmitry Shostakovich. You're listening to Highway 89 on Classical 89 and Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Tim Slover, and this hour we're listening to and visiting with superb musicians from the Beethoven Festival of Park City, Utah. Robert Moling, welcome. Thank you. Nice uh, to be here. Nice to have you. Uh, Mr. Moling is an artist teacher of piano at the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University. He's also a piano world citizen. He's a graduate of the Rotterdam Conservatory, attended the University of Indiana on a Fulbright Hayes Scholarship, and is founder and co-artistic director of Houston's chamber music series, House Music. He has recorded, among other pieces, the complete Debussy preludes for the music and arts, cost classics, Erasmus, and projects labels, and performed a great critical and popular acclaim in Luxembourg, France, the U.S., and in his native Holland. How uh, did you get involved with the Park City Chamber Music Society and this Beethoven Festival? Oh, boy, that's a long story. Um, I met in 1986 uh, a cellist by the name of Terry King. Uh, he was the cellist of the Mirkwood Trio, which was a very well-known trio back then, and they toured a lot. And uh, I had met the violinist uh, a few months before, and he had heard me perform, and it just so happened that their pianist fell ill and couldn't do a tour. So they called me up and said, we have this tour coming up next week. Can you help us out? And I said, sure, <laughs> while I was trying to not shake too hard. <laughs> and uh, so we adjusted the repertoire a little bit so I could get everything ready. And so it just turned out that Russell was one of Terry's very best friends. And we met actually in Grinnell, Iowa for the first time and, and sight read some chamber music together. And next year, Russell called me and said, we'd like you to come to Park City. And it was uh, actually 25 years ago. Wow. 1987. It, it, is it fair to say that some of this, these festivals are, are a meeting of friends then? Absolutely. Absolutely. Coming that's, from why, that's why we come to these festivals. Because they're usually in beautiful places and they're full of good friends and fantastic musicians. So. And, and you come for the astonishingly high pay, I think. Also. Well, the definition of a music festival is way too much work for way too little money in a beautiful place. <laughs> uh, now, I'm looking at you. You're a handsome man. But you choose as your well, Facebook you. <laughs> picture. Your Facebook picture is you as a very young child standing on a yes. chair playing a little toy piano. Playing a little toy piano. What's that yeah. about? It's my first promo picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought it was cute. <laughs> did, did you, in fact, start playing that young? Well, I was always very interested in toy instruments. And, and of course, in, in Holland, we would celebrate St. Nicholas. And that was when you got your presents. And I always asked for, for toy instruments. I had a little piano. I had an accordion at harmonicas and so by about eight six seven if i recall correctly my parents said well maybe we should try a real instrument this time so and they asked me what would you like to play and i picked a piano nice is there such a thing as a, a recording for toy instruments has anybody ever composed yes yes actually there are some composers who who have written for toy piano there's a, a composer at the university of houston who has written a piece for toy piano that's performed fairly frequently by a colleague of mine, Tim Hester, and it's it's quite quite a spectacle to see. I would love to see. <laughs> I mean, that. these are these are of course very high quality toy pianos. But <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. You're most welcome. Uh, let's listen now to the exciting second movement of Shostakovich's Sonata 
for cello and piano, and as Mr. Molding makes his way back to the keyboard, I think that he would agree with me, as a fellow Dutchman, that you ain't much if you ain't Dutch. Robert Moling Piano and Jeffrey Solo Cello have just played for us the Sonata for Cello and Piano Second Movement 
by Dmitry Shostakovich. I'm Tim Slover, and this hour we are highlighting pieces from the Beethoven Festival in Park City, Utah. Jeffrey Solo. Nice to meet you, Tim. It's nice to meet you. <clears throat> you know, when you were talking to Russell about the name of the Beethoven Festival and BYOB, it occurred to me that you could bring a DVD of the film Beethoven and then blend the film music festival with the Beethoven Festival. <laughs> and get half off, I think, if I <laughs> yes. understand right. Right. Um, you're a professor of cello at Temple University. Right. Uh, the L.A. Times notes of you. His intonation is irreproachable, his technique clean, his tone uncommonly good, and he communicates directly with a musical sensitivity that demands and holds the attention. However, <laughs> risking all of that, you also appear to be a thrill seeker. You're a whale watcher, a scuba diver. You frequent a watering hole in Alaska called the Red Dog, which is surely dangerous. <laughs> You fly in single-engine fixed-wing airplanes, and apparently you fool around with sharks. I have a couple of questions. One is, do you recommend these activities for all musicians or just cellists? And second, uh, why do you do this? None of them are particularly thrill-seeking dangerous. Performing is much more thrill-seeking and dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Although one of the uh, most notable things in the Red Dog is that they have Wyatt Earp's pistol on the wall which could be taken down at any moment, I assume. <laughs> um, so you dive. I do. And uh, what's that like? Are there dives you have done and still want to do? Well, there are many that I want to do, uh, ones that I have done that I would like to do again. Uh, I've been a few times to Bonaire, which is really beautiful. Uh, Little Cayman Island is really spectacular. I would love to go back there. Now, is this scuba or scuba snorkeling? Diving. Or scuba diving. Probably done both. Well, it's, yeah, snorkeling. I grew up in Southern California and spent all my summers at Laguna Beach, where I learned to dive. I was certified in 1965. Amazing. Well, uh, in addition to that, you also have... And certifiable, a, right? And so, <laughs> you also have a, a, a great musical career. Um, how do you enjoy the teaching part of it? You're such a superb musician. Oh. Is it frustrating to teach students? No, because I love to teach students. Uh, it's uh, illuminating in many ways. You, uh, well, one of the things, you know, people always say that you learn from your students, which is true, but often in a way that people don't think. Uh, because in your own playing, a large part of learning an instrument and practicing is problem solving, and you ha are figuring out, well, why isn't this working for me, and uh, what am I doing wrong, and uh, then you want to figure that out and fix it. But when you teach, you discover ways of going wrong that never crossed your mind uh, because the, you know everyone has their own issues. And every time you come across something that's not right, you have to figure out what is right. So that teaches you much more about playing, which helps you with your own playing as well. Plus, when you love doing something, uh, the pleasure in doing it is greatly added to by communicating it to others and helping others to find the same pleasure. And teaching certainly does that. Do you, that's fascinating. It almost gives me hope that I could learn to play an instrument. <laughs> is, could you play, is, is it possible to play music underwater? I actually have a cello sitting on my piano that is waiting to go underwater scuba diving with me. However, I'm not planning that it will emerge from that trip. <laughs> so it's a one only. Yeah, this is a I one only. I hope you'll do yes. video. I hope you'll do that, video that's, of that. It actually requires some log logistics to set this up because, of course, it would be easy to do in a swimming pool, but that wouldn't look like much. So if I'm going somewhere to do it for real in the ocean, you have to make sure that it's somewhere where the water is really clear and you have to have a good videographer. And there's you know lots of things to take care Let's of. Let's go to Maui. <laughs> Water's clear. Yeah, you're on. Well, and, then, and sharks bumping up against you. 
That's amazing. Uh, keeping in this nautical theme, I understand that you are playing two concerts at a place called Barge Music? Right. Uh, barge Music is on an old industrial barge, which has been converted into a concert hall right at the base of the Brooklyn Bridge on the Brooklyn side. So the, the behind the stage is a large picture window. So you get to look at the New York City skyline while you're playing. And the audience gets to see when ships are coming by, the performers don't. And while you're in the middle of something, all of a sudden the barge, which is floating, does lots of lurches, and people have been known to have to leave the audience because they've gotten seasick. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, Well, listeners, uh, without even any seasickness, we're going to hear uh, um, from Mr. Solo uh, two pieces that he'll be playing, as I understand, uh, at Barge Music. Uh, These are box preludes to his uh, unaccompanied cello suites. We'll be hearing uh, the preludes to suites number one and two. I'd interest you to know, uh, even though these are very popular pieces with cellists because they're, they're so beautiful, and particularly for uh, virtuoso cellists like Mr. Solo, they've actually been transcribed for some unexpected instruments like the ukulele and the marimba and the tuba. But we have the privilege to hear them as they were originally composed on the cello. <laughs> Thank you. 
just listened to Jeffrey Solo playing the preludes to the first two of Bach's six suites for unaccompanied cello. Well, sadly, we've come to the end of another episode of Highway 89. Russell Harlow, thank you for bringing a bit of the Beethoven Festival of Park City to Provo. Thank you, Tim. It's been our pleasure. It's tremendous what you and Leslie have given to the music community here for almost 30 years now. Almost, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. In case you're keeping score at home, we heard exactly zero pieces by Beethoven. For that privilege, you'll need to follow Highway 89 up to Park City sometime and hear them performed in person. Many thanks also to violinist Margaret Baldridge, pianist Robert Moling, and cellist Jeffrey Solo for coming and performing for us. By the way, Ed Reichel, celebrity music reviewer, pinched hit as page-turner for Mr. Moling. <laughs> the Beethoven Festival of Park City, Utah, is the summer installment of five music festivals that the Park City Chamber Music Society spearheads each year. Complete information about the festivals is available at pcmusicfestival, all one word, pcmusicfestival.com. Highway 89 takes you to any number of musical destinations, every one of them musical and memorable, We always welcome comments and questions about our programming. For information about this show, simply email us at highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. The show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Tim Slover. Thanks for tuning in. 